Amen. If you'll turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel 27. 1 Samuel 27 will be our text this Lord's Day. And uh, again, I want to uh, extend uh, again the invitation to you tonight to come and join us as we pray for that Chicago partnership and as we pray for our church. As Pastor David mentioned, it was a very sobering experience to drive through neighborhood after neighborhood and to see churches uh, that looked identical to the church we're in today, that looked just like our church building, but the cross was gone and the crescent was there or it had been turned into a Hindu temple. And friends, I want to say to you, that's not just something that can happen in Chicago. That can happen here. We lose our focus on the gospel. A generation goes by and this too will one day be a Muslim or a Hindu or some other godless temple to a false religion. And don't be foolish this morning to think that cannot happen. And so how do we protect ourselves from that? We, we come to the word. It's not enough just to show up and keep your eyes open this morning. We have to come with open hearts this morning. We have to come with teachable hearts. We have to be transformed by the word of God today. And that is my prayer for us. And so I want to ask you as I read the word and as I pray for us this morning that you too would be praying this morning that you would be mindful of these things that can so easily happen to us that have happened to so many others that God would use us as a light in this community this commonwealth this nation in this world a light of the gospel that that light would not go out and let's consider that let's pray for that as we come to God's word this morning we come to 1 Samuel chapter 27 as a reminder of where we are in the word of God. We've just come off of a passage where yet again David has had another opportunity to take the life of Saul. Saul is the king who has lost the anointing of God. The anointing has been placed on David and since that time, Saul's jealousy, his, his bitterness, his anger has grown. He, he wants to eliminate David. And time and time again, God has preserved and protected the life of David. And as we saw last Lord's Day, David had yet another opportunity to take Saul's life. But, but he doesn't do that. He spares his life. Because God had anointed at one time Saul as king. And, and David reveres that anointing. He reveres that office. He, he says he's not going to put his hand against the Lord's anointed. And in saying that, he also makes a very bold statement that even though his life has been in danger time and time and time again, he, he's going to trust in God. He's going to believe in God. He, he's going to allow the sovereign hand and plan of God to work its way out. And so we have there David as he tells the soldier who's with him, as he tells him not to take out Saul, he says, the Lord forbid that I should put my hand against the Lord's anointed. He said his day's going to come and God's going to deal with him. But we don't need to do this. He is trusting the Lord to deal with Saul. And that passage then ends like when it ended just a couple chapters before with Saul uh, acknowledging David as the anointed king, with Saul even giving a blessing to David, and then they part ways and all seems to be at peace. But that peace does not last, as we'll see in the opening words of today's passage. So 
We're going to read 1 Samuel 27, verse 1, down through chapter 28, verse 2, and out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand together this morning. And this is what the holy, inspired word of God says. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul would despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Jezreites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish said, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, against the Negev of the Jeromelezites, against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath thinking least they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore he shall always be my servant. In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. If you would pray with me. Father God, we we ask that you in this moment, as we consider your word, that you would indeed work your word into us, that through the power of of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to believe, to repent, to trust. And Lord, help us, help us not to lean on our own understanding. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he tells the story of a pilgrim named Christian who if you're familiar with the story, he begins his journey with an enormous burden on him. 
And he sets out on a journey to relieve himself of this burden. He has the instructions of evangelists. He has the word, that the scroll with him. He's, he's given specific instructions of where to go and what to do that this enormous burden might be relieved. But early in his journey, he encounters a man called Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Where's Mr. Worldly Wise Man? tells Christian to ignore what evangelist has told him, to ignore the instruction of the scroll. He says that Christian needs to visit the village of morality. And when he comes to that village, that's where legality and civility will remove his burden for him. Bunyan here is painting a picture of how people try so many things in this world to relieve themselves of the burden of sin, but God has given us in His Word specific instructions as to what we're to do with that burden. That we're to take it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And as Christian learns, and as we learn through God's word, morality cannot relieve us of this burden. Leaning on our own understanding cannot relieve us of this burden. And when we go down that path, when we try to remove the burden of sin in some other way, well, it does not end well for us. We are instructed in Proverbs 3 to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not to lean on our own understanding. Because when we lean on our own understanding, we are not trusting the Lord with all our heart. And we see a picture of that in today's passage. We see a picture of what happens when we follow the advice of Mr worldly wise men of what happens when we follow the advice in our world today that bumper sticker the t-shirts the slogans follow your heart and yet our heart misleads us when we follow our own understanding and yet our own understanding it, it shipwrecks us there is a better way and we find that way in the word of god and we find that way by looking to God's Word and, and learning from the instruction God gives us, as well as learning from those who heed that instruction and learning from those who don't. As we mentioned before in our study of 1 Samuel, there's much for us to learn here, both from what people do well and from what they don't do well. And this chapter today is an example of David not doing well, of David not trusting in the Lord, of David leaning on his own understanding. And we can learn from it. In fact, I hope that we can learn what it is that leads us down that wrong path in hopes that we might avoid it by the grace of God. So as you can see there in your outline this morning, I've titled that, When When we lean on our own understanding that this is what we do. First, we forget God's promises. So if you you want to go the wrong way, if you want to go down the wrong path, well, then that begins with forgetting the promises of God. And we see David doing that in this passage. Notice again in verse 1. David again has, has come off of the heels of something good happening. We talked last Lord's Day about Uh, The question of David's motives and how he ended up in Saul's camp. But there's that moment when he's there, when he makes the right decision, when he seems to be trusting in the Lord. In fact, you may recall that as he is there and as he's trusting, and then as he's communicating to Saul that he had the opportunity to take his life but didn't, 
He says this to Saul in verse 24 of chapter 26. Behold, as your life was precious this day in the sight, in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. So here's David, again, who has been pursued by Saul, who could have taken matters into his own hand and eliminated Saul and eliminated those threats. And he doesn't do that. And why? Because he says to Saul, the man who had sought to end his life, God's going to deliver me out of tribulation. God's going to take care of me, Saul. God will deliver. And it isn't just here that we see that. We, we can read through the Psalms and see how this is a resounding message of David. Psalm 11 begins this way. David writes, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. David here is responding to worldly advice. David here says, People say to me, well, I should just run away. People say to me, I should just flee to the mountain. People say to me, your enemy has the arrow pulled back and the bow is bent and it is aimed at you, David. You better start running now. And what does David say? David says, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you suggest that I might go run to the mountain, that I might flee like a bird. <laughs> David's response in that psalm is, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to trust in the Lord, and in the Lord I'll take refuge. I'm not running, I'm not hiding, I'm trusting in Him. David's there when Saul comes with an army of 3,000. And what does he say? The Lord will deliver me out of tribulation. And so this is the, the picture we have. And then yet at the very beginning of chapter 27, we have a very different picture. Because now David says, well, it's only a matter of time before Saul kills me. I've got to do something to get out of this mess. It's as if David is the one now saying, flee to the mountains. David is the one saying, run and hide. And why is David saying this? Well, David's saying it because he's scared. But I think fundamentally he's saying it is because he's forgotten God's promises. David's not even listening to his own advice at this point. David's not listening to the word of God. David's not listening to the lessons that he's been taught over and over and over again. He is ignoring and even forgetting the promises God has made. Now what, what did God promise David at this point? Well, as a young man in his father's household, he came and he promised through Samuel that David would be the king. He has put his anointing on David. He has put his calling on him. His future is clear. He will reign over Israel as the anointed king of God Almighty. And that hasn't happened yet. David has that promise in front of him. Now, God did not say to David, now, David, I'm going to anoint you as king, and you're going to have the easiest path available. You're, you're not going to stop. You're just going to pass right by go. You're going to collect your $200, get out of jail free card. It's going to be fine for you, David. This is going to be the easiest thing you've ever done. God doesn't say that to David. In fact, we see as we study God's word that the path to the throne, it's a hard path. It's, it's a difficult path. It's one that left David in great danger at times. 
But what should David have learned by this point? He should have learned by this point that God always keeps his word. That God's promises always come to fruition. That God had made a promise to him and God intended to keep that promise to him. But here, David seems to have forgotten that promise. In fact, not only does he forget the promise of God to him, it seems like he's forgetting the promise of God to God's people. If you know the story of God's people, you know that a big part of the Old Testament is the, the promise of this place, the land of promise that he was going to take his people to. God had established Israel and its borders for his people. And notice, not only does David forget the promises of God, he even leaves the land of the promises of God. What does he say? He looks at where he's at and he says, there, there's nothing better for me here. I mean, imagine that for a moment. Imagine all that God's people had endured for generations to get to that land of promise. And here David is staying in that land. Well, there's nothing for me here. Absolutely nothing. Unless I go over there. Unless I cross that boundary. And where is that boundary? Well, it's the boundary of God's enemies. And so David here, forgetting the promises of God and leaving the land of the promise it is really a picture, I believe, of someone who is leaning on their own understanding. And notice where that takes him, and notice where it takes us. It takes him far away from the sovereign hand and sovereign plan of God. Because he is leaning on his own understanding. Now, you might step back from this and say, well, Pastor, what's... I mean, what's really the problem with leaning on our own understanding? I mean, God's given us a mind, and we should use good sense. And what's wrong with just making decisions? Well, there's nothing wrong with just making decisions, and God has given us a mind. The problem comes when we only trust in our mind, and we do not trust in God's Word, when our mind is not biblically informed, but it's informed by the things of this world, where we simply just lean on our own understanding. The Scripture says that's not just a path of danger. It says that's the way to death. Proverbs 14, verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now hear that. That there are people today who are walking through life and they're doing what seems right to them. That they would justify it. That there's a self-righteousness in it. They feel like that this is the right thing to do. And yet God said when left to our own understanding, when just following our own moral compass, which is way off, we may be stepping forward thinking we're doing the right thing, but we are walking down the path to destruction. And this is what happens when we lean on our own understanding. We try to do the right thing all day long, and we end up in a world of hurt. That's not the way to blessing. Now, we find that way in the very first psalm. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So do you see the picture here? 
How do we protect ourselves from listening to the world or worldly wise men, this, this voice around us all the time, even from listening to ourselves? How, how do we protect ourselves? Well, we trust in the Word of God. We, we meditate on His promises. We read His Word. We believe His Word. We live according to His Word. Otherwise, we simply lean our own understanding. We see this in David's life, and we see this so often in our lives. Second, we learn that we lean our own understanding when we fail, when we fail to seek God's provision. And so not only do we forget the promises of God and neglect to believe and live according to those, we also then fail to seek the provision of God. So not only do we see David in this chapter forgetting what God had promised, we see him failing to seek God's provision. You may have noticed as I was reading through chapter 27 in the beginning of chapter 28 that there were some Difficult names there, there were some unfamiliar names there, of course David is there, but you may have noticed one name that's never mentioned in this passage, God. <laughs> that there's no mention of God in chapter 27. That there's no indication that, that David sought God's will. There's no indication that David turned to the Lord. Here David is where God has protected him and provided over and over and over again on the heels of another victory where God spares his life. That's the real story. Not David sparing Saul's life. It's God sparing David's life again and again and again. And yet, what does David do? He forgets God's promises and he doesn't even turn to God. There's a sense here where David's trusting in no one and nothing other than himself. And this should strike us as unusual. Especially when we consider, again, the other things that David has written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We consider things he has written, things he will write in the Psalms. Psalm 68, verse 10, David writes, In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. And yet here David is in a time of need, not trusting in the Lord to provide. Psalm 144, David writes, May your granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands into our fields. May our cattle be heavy and young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. David here is saying there's great blessing that comes from trusting in the Lord. There's a great blessing that comes from trusting in God's provision. And yet here we have a picture where he's not trusting in God's goodness and he's not seeking God's provision. Rather notice again where he turns. Verse 1. There's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. The heading of chapter 26 in most of your Bibles is David spares Saul's life again. The heading for this chapter could very well be David flees to the Philistines again. <laughs> We've been here before. Remember the first time that David tried to flee to the Philistines? Saul was pursuing David. Saul was intent on killing David. And so uh, David takes, of all things, Goliath's sword 
and goes back to Goliath's hometown there in Gath as if that would be a good idea, which he soon learns it's not. And so here he is in Gath, and you'll remember from our study that this is a place where David had led a slaughter of Philistines. I mean, to win the hand of Saul's daughter in marriage, he had mutilated men he had killed. His name was not good there. And if you recall, the only way he survived his time in Gath before was he faked madness. That's how he got out of the situation. He pretended to be insane so that when he was brought before the king, the king looked at him and said, well, I don't need another madman. He wasn't threatened by him. And yet here we are again. David goes again to the king of Gath, Achish, and he asks him to allow him to live there in one of the towns outside of the city, and Achish agrees to this. Previous to this, Achish had agreed to David to be there in his city. Why is that? Well, it could be that some time has passed, and at this point, Achish now looks at David as more of an ally, because he may know very well at this point that uh, David is an enemy of Saul, and that Saul is an enemy of Achish, and this may be the You know, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. And so he may view David in some way here as an ally. Or it might have something to do with the army that David has with him. (laughs) You'll remember the first time that he fled, it was just him. But now he shows up with his whole family, with 600 soldiers, and with all of their families. And so perhaps Achish thinks twice before thinking about attacking David and this army and decides... It would be better for him just to be at peace with him, to to give him his own place to live. But honestly, why Achish is so accommodating is not really our concern. Our concern is who David is seeking for provision, who David is turning to here, and clearly it is not God. It is the enemies of God. And so hopefully you can recognize a pattern that's developing here. It's really a picture of what we're warned against in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What is David doing? David is trusting in himself. David is listening to the counsel of others who would say to him, it's better for you to flee to your enemies than to trust in your God. He is receiving this ungodly counsel, and he is walking according to it. And yet the psalm says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. And what is David doing? He doesn't just flee to his enemies. He dwells with his enemies. He participates with his enemies. He's considered part of them by the end of this passage. Psalm 1 says, Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The Philistines scoffed the one true God. They mocked the one true God. Do you remember Goliath's speech to God's people? Do you remember the mockery and the scoffing and how he defied the armies of the living God? These are the people now that David is partnering up with. And so we see that digression in David's life, that pattern in his life. Blessed is the man who doesn't do these things. And yet, that's exactly what David seems to be doing here. And friends, it's the same thing that we do as well. When we fail to remember God's promises and when we fail to seek God's provision. 
And so I want to ask you this morning, I want you to consider this question this morning. Are, are you trusting in God's provision today? I mean, it's easy for us to read this chapter and to see the pattern in David's life of how God had rescued him time and time and time again. I mean, in the very last chapter, God brought a supernatural slumber on the army of Saul just to preserve David's life as he and a soldier walked through their camp. God's hand had been on David. God had protected David. God had provided for David. It's easy for us to read those things, come to chapter 27, and scream at the page, David, what's wrong with you? <laughs> David, how could you forget God's promises? David, what, why, why are you doing this nonsense? But what about us? But what if you today were to just look at a journal of God's protection and provision in your life? But what if you were to read from beginning to end how God's sovereign hand had been on you, perhaps in ways that you've never even recognized? And if you were to walk through all of that, and see how God had protected and God had provided. And then you come to today and the question on the page in the journal is this. How are you trusting God today? In light of what he has done, how are you trusting him today? I mean, what are you believing God for and trusting God for today that will only happen if God supernaturally shows up? How are you believing God and trusting God and seeking the faith of God and praying to God in a way where the only way for that prayer to be answered is for God to move and God to do? I fear we've become so accustomed to praying according to our own understanding, honestly. and Almost as kind of an afterthought where we're sitting at the dealership we're about to sign the papers to buy a car and as we pause before we put down our name lord i pray this is what you want me to do <laughs> we, we we find a home that we love and we're so excited about it and we go through the negotiations and we get to the point of closing and then we well god i pray that you'll bless this we, we go into a relationship without really concern for what God might want from us in our relationships and we pursue that relationship and we get very serious in that relationship and then at the culmination of that relationship we say well God would you would you bless this now you can play that out over and over and over again we just kind of slap this prayer this desire for God's blessing on the end rather than starting at the beginning and seeking God and, and trusting in God and pursuing God in light of his word and living according to what it says. Are, are there tangible ways today in your life you can recognize, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting on God for this. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what the end result's going to be, but I'm, I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to believe in him. That this is only going to happen. <laughs> If he moves, is there something you can see in your life today where you're trusting him and seeking him? We find that when we're not doing that, we're basically just leaning on our own understanding. And then finally, we see 
in this passage that we lean on our own understanding when we walk by sight, not by faith. Of course, the instruction we're given in God's Word is to walk by faith, not by sight. But we see the inverse is often true when we're leaning on our own understanding. And that's a picture, really, of David throughout this chapter. He fears Saul. And so he sees running to the Philistines as the only path for refuge. He then needs provisions. He has an army of 600. He has his two wives and his families along with these soldiers and their families and the only way he sees to provide for them is to go out and find that provision on his own so he does what he often does in seeking that provision he lies and he deceives and what is this deception well David and his men would go out and make these raids and the people they were making raids against were the enemies of God's people but this would not sit well with the king of Gath because these were allies of the enemies of God And so David's kind of in a tight spot here, and perhaps he feels that he's kind of negotiated this semi-spiritual position. Maybe David's thinking, well, uh, it's okay for me to lie to the king because what I'm really doing is in favor of what God would have me do because, you know, I'm out there and I'm conquering God's enemies, and that's a good thing in God's eyes, and it's okay if I just tell this little lie along the way. David's compromising david is deceiving and simply put the reason he's doing this is just for survival and he may have thought that god would bless his deception but friends god doesn't bless our deception in fact god speaks rather pointedly concerning deception proverbs chapter 6 verse 17 among the things that the lord hates is a lying tongue You read through Proverbs 6, and I mean, you think about that, the things the Lord hates. I mean, you could probably make a pretty long list this morning of the things you hate. I can make a long list of the things I hate. It's a pretty short list in Proverbs 6. And among the things God hates is a lying tongue. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And so the picture here we have is of David, who the scripture says is a man after God's own heart. (laughs) And yet he is compromising his faith with deception. How did David get here? I think simply he got here by walking by sight and not by faith. You think about where we started. David starts this passage scared and fearful, and concerned about his future, and worried about Saul. And where does the passage end? Achish, the king of Gath, the enemy of God's people, the enemy of God, looks to David and his army and says, as a reminder, you're with me now. You're my bodyguard for life. And David goes along with it. I mean, do, do you see the picture there? David goes from just being scared to aligning himself with the enemies of God. How does he get there? 
Friends, he gets there the same way you and I get there. Sin always takes us farther than we ever thought we would go and costs us more than we ever thought we would pay. And that's exactly what happens to David here as he walks by sight and not by faith. So where does that leave us this morning? How do we take this passage and, and put a bow on it? What, what, what do we apply from this? What do we do with it? Well, I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't walk away from this passage and say, well, I just hope I can be more like David one day. I don't know that there's ever been a person alive who's read 1 Samuel 27 and walked away saying, well, I, I just hope I can be more like David. But I guarantee you there's other passages people have walked away from and have taught Sunday school lessons and preached sermons and said, well, you just mean more like David. And friends, the message from God's word to that is no. No, you don't. You don't need to be more like David. If anything, we're reminded this morning of David's failures so that we might understand the goal of God's word is not for us to emulate David or to be more like David. But I believe the message from God's word this morning is to understand in light of David's failure that there's a king who never fails. In light of David's compromise that there's a king who never compromises. And in light of David's walking according to the counsel of the wicked and staying in the path of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers that there is a king who is the true blessed man who doesn't do any of those things. That the scripture speaks of a king that when in a scary situation, a harsh situation, a dangerous situation, doesn't turn away from God, but places his trust fully in God, that we're to see the failures of David, that we might then rejoice in our King Jesus, who never, ever fails. So that the message we receive from God's word is not be more like David, but the message we receive is trust in King Jesus. Because friends, Jesus is our only hope today. The Pilgrim's Progress, Christians given this instruction from evangelists that basically tells him the only way you're ever going to get rid of your burden is at the cross. And friends, that's the message of the gospel for us. Every one of us has the burden of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death and there's no worldly means through which we can relieve ourselves of that burden. But we are to take that burden to the cross of Calvary where Jesus died for my burden and yours and offers us the great exchange that if we will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. He takes on our curse that we deserve, our punishment. We receive his righteousness when we repent and when we trust in him. And this passage and many others are a reminder to us of what happens when we trust in ourselves and our need to trust in Christ. And so this morning, that is the invitation. It's for us to trust in Christ and to trust in the grace that Jesus offers us to pardon us and to cleanse us. The grace of God is greater 
than all of my sin. The grace of God is greater than all of your sin. The grace of God is greater than all of our sin. And that is what we celebrate when we come to the cross. So we're going to take a moment now to respond to God's word through lifting our voices and worshiping, through responding as God leads, as we sing about the great grace that God offers us. I want to ask you this morning, have you responded to the grace of God through repentance and through confession, Jesus, confessing Jesus as Lord? Is there tangible fruit and evidence in your life today that, that the gospel of Jesus has changed you? And, and if that's happened, then we rejoice in that, we celebrate that. But if that's not happened, friend, then we invite you this morning to place your trust in Jesus, to repent of your sin, and to call on Jesus to save you. Perhaps you've done that, but you find a struggle in your life, a struggle that you identify with as you read about David, this, this struggle to walk by faith and not by sight. Perhaps you find yourself this morning leaning on your own understanding, not trusting in the promises of God, not seeking God for his provision. Well, then we invite you this morning to repent and to trust in him as we sing about this grace. So this is what we're about to sing. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Will you? This moment, friend, his grace receive. Let's stand together and pray, and then let's sing. Father God, I pray that we would receive your grace this morning. And Father, that's a work that only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. So I pray, God, that you would use your word in our lives today to call us to faith and repentance and trust. I pray, Lord, for any who needs today to respond to the gospel through confessing Christ as Lord, I pray that they would do that publicly in front of this body of witnesses. For those that need to then take that next step of obedience and believers' baptism, I pray they would start that process today. For those who are desiring to be a part of this church fellowship through being a member with us, I pray that they would start that process today. For those who just need someone to pray with them, I pray that they too would come as we lift our voices and as we rejoice in the marvelous grace that you offer us through the cross of Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.